Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Welcome to another edition of the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Scott Berry. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing excellent. I'm so excited for our guest today. John Halcyon Stint is an American blogger, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and designer. He's also an author and web celebrity who pushed the boundaries of online self-expression through his various online projects, which we'll talk a little bit about today. He's also the founder of the Bernie Man Camp Pink Heart. For those of you that have listened to our other episodes, we talk a lot about Bernie Man. Uh, if you've ever been, he is the founder of Pink Heart. It's right on the Esplanade. Uh, it's an amazing camp. Uh, he is also the co-founder of First Saturdays. It's a nine-year running homeless outreach project. And he's also the host of the weekly show, Hug Nation. Uh, welcome, John. How are you doing today? I'm amazing. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Thank you for having me. The, the focus of the show is really about fulfillment. And when Scott and I were, were talking about you, uh, we both just got big smiles on our faces because we both feel like you just live a really fulfilling life. Um, and uh, we're excited to jump into today's call and really discover for you uh, what's allowed you to really find those levels of fulfillment. Fantastic. It's my favorite topic. <laughs> mm. You know, can I just add one thing? John or you know, as we call him sometimes Halcyon, he probably has, we were talking about this pre-show, we had a, a pre-call before the show, that his kind of resume, if you will, and, and what he's really dipped his hands in and his fingers into as far as his life experience has been so rich and by far like one of the richest of any of the guests that we've had here. So like, I, I am just so excited to to have John on the show. And I just wanted to mention that. So <laughs> I'm so stoked. I mean, it, it's cool to have that perspective from the outside. One of the kind of governing things led my life is that very early on when I first discovered Burning Man, you know, I had this thought that that life was like a freeway and you got to pick a lane. You know, do you, are you going to have a white collar job, a blue collar job? Are you going to be a stay at home dad? You know, you got to pick from the selections that you that you're given and then went to Burning Man, saw the internet and all these just different ways, like examples of all these different ways that people were finding fulfillment that were outside of the choices that I had been shown my entire youth. And it was like, wait a minute, it's not a picking a freeway lane. Life is like a lake. You know, you can go whatever direction you want. And so that's kind of led me to all these alcoves and areas around this amazing life lake that we're in. I was about to say, so have you always been that way? You know, you have this idea of, you know, freeway, you kind of pick a lane, you pick a certain path. And a lot of that gets instilled from, from our upbringing. I know it did from, from my upbringing. My upbringing was you kind of follow the traditional path of good grades, job, da, 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 da. And seeing how you've like really branched off and it really made it a mission to, to follow your heart. Uh, has that always been part of your upbringing or is that something new? Is that something that has shifted from Burning Man? What, what, what's your history with that? Yeah, no, I, I started uh, my youth and my college and my high school. Like I was my high school valedictorian, honors in college. I was headed towards grad school. And uh, it, it wasn't, I, for most of my you know, first 20 years, 25 years, I was very much up the ladder, up the ladder, up the ladder 
you know, more, bigger, better, more, bigger, better, more status, more everything. And, and then it wasn't, it wasn't until, uh, Burning Man and the internet, those two things really showed me that there's, there's other ways that you can, other directions besides just up, uh, in the traditional sense. So, but, but initially I was, I was caught on the same treadmill that, um, that I see so many people still on. And, and was there like a, an incident that happened a lot of times, like in the hero's journey, you see, there's like this call to action or this call to adventure. And a lot of times, you know, we get it over the course of time and it's like, we're like, no, no, no. And then if we don't listen to the call, sometimes it forces us over and there's this story around it. Or sometimes we listen to the call curious what your experience was and when, when this happened or when you went through different, different transformations and, and kind of what allowed you to open. Yeah, there, there was there was one significant one where uh, between college and going to grad school, I worked. Uh, I was had a degree in psychology, and I worked as a uh, a counselor with emotionally disturbed kids, and uh, it was incredibly taxing on me. And it was incredibly uh, these kids were very damaged and very violent. And after about two years there, I was so worn down and so miserable, and just like crying before work every day, and and like this whole, the, the idea of just moving forward, moving forward it, it more into this same direction just was, it was too much, too crushing. And so, um, at the time I was doing a, uh, the only thing that was making me happy, I had a paper zine, like I would, I would write stories and comics and Xerox it and distribute it around and had this kind of really, uh, powerful experience going to a career counselor where they kind of said, if nothing else mattered. If you had all the talents and all the skills and everything, what would you do? Um, you know, what would you use your time with? And the only thing that really made me happy and excited in my mind was the idea of telling stories and, and publishing and sharing with people. And so without really having any idea how it was going to be a career, I quit my job, got off this upward track in psychology and went back to junior college, which was for me, this huge kind of, uh, humility of, of like, I, I I will admit that, you know, when I was going off to college, I was teasing the kids who were going to junior college. So I went back to junior college to take design classes, to try to make my little Xerox zine better. And then kind of just to make a too long story, not quite as long, but I, I ended up getting, um, some, the, I got a side job at a call center and I got in trouble for sharing my zine at the call center. And then the vice president who found my zine, he pulled me into this meeting and said, is this yours? And I was like, um, yeah. He goes, do you want to answer phones for a living? I said, no. He said, because you seem pretty creative. And we keep hearing about this thing called the internet. And so we were thinking maybe you could learn what it is, put your little magazine online, and then make us a company homepage. And so that moment of me just kind of like having no idea how I was ever going to make a living telling stories led me into the internet in the very early days, which made my career and, and introduced all sorts of expression and satisfaction and incredible things that never even existed when I was in college. And, and so you were literally there, like at the very beginning of like, this onboarding of when the internet was like brand new, right? So this was around what year? This was 95, 96. 95, 96. And so they basically said, hey, well, you know, can you pioneer this for this uh, as you were just now finding your creative expression? Yeah. And so it was like, and and it, there was this moment where, you know, 
I, I, it's hard for me to even imagine what it's, what it would have, what it's like now to always have internet and always have that access to all different types of perspectives and the ability to communicate to the world. Because I know that that was, that was one of those before and after moments for me when I realized that there was a way that you could communicate with the entire world and not have to play the traditional games. I didn't have to go to Hollywood. I didn't have to, you know, pay my dues. I didn't have to prove to someone that what I had to say was worthy. I could just say it to the entire world. And then it was like, well, then I don't have to do anything I don't want to do anymore. So interesting. So just the possibility of if I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that there is this all of a sudden grand shift in your perspective of just realizing like, well, wait a second, I don't need to play a game to use anybody else's system to uh, you know, get my word out, to get my information out. Because I think a lot of times we're taught you know, follow this model. You do A, B, and C, and you get to D, whether it's through our, our parents or our community or the school system. We're learning somebody's school system to follow. And what I'm hearing from you is you had this revelation of like, oh, wait a second. I can now just access the world uh, from any medium. I don't need to follow anybody's system. Was that the the shift or was it, that the pivot? Exactly. And and the and that awareness that, um, to be honest, like I, I, there was an amount of insecurity that I had that like I did not feel good enough to you know go to Hollywood and be a writer, even though there was like a deep down part of me that wanted to tell stories. You know, I didn't feel that I was strong enough to deal with the rejection of submitting manuscripts places, and so suddenly I had a way to just like express, and there was nobody that told me that I couldn't, or nobody that could say I wasn't good. And because that this real magical time of the internet being this new thing where there was no real rules, there was nobody to say that's not the right way to do it. You know, that's you, you know, make sure you read this book first because there wasn't books. It was just like okay, and it was a super liberating kind of pioneering uh, excitement about trying things, failing quickly, and there wasn't even that many people watching. So it was just this. It was it was a, a liberating place to be in time. Interesting. So it sounds like it's almost less about you being able to present your craft and your stories and this part of your passion that you had, you know, instead of having to go the traditional route, you had this new medium. But in essence, on a much deeper level, it was also about almost like rewiring your story and your foundation that says, well, I could actually do something different. Like I can, I, you know, basically the whole world starts to become my oyster. And I, and I believe that kind of opens up all new sorts of possibilities because when you were talking about going down the the straight line path or going down the freeway, I mean, you're literally speaking to me and it wasn't until, you know, I turned right around, you know, my, my Saturday return right around 28, 29. And I've, I've mentioned this before in one of our podcasts about my whole story about this. But to me, it was getting more, producing more, uh, work harder, play harder, that whole mentality. And, you know, then I started to explore other communities that really made it okay and gave me permission to say like, no, you could actually start doing your passions and even start to monetize that and actually start to look at other avenues instead of XYZ. So I don't know how much of that uh, relates to you as far as, you know, just kind of changing your whole perspective of your foundation and, and how you see the world and, you know, how you move forward. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I still, that is still, you know, we're talking about a chapter in my life that was, you know, 20 something years ago, but th- this is still, I think the fundamental thing that I talk about uh, when I'm doing my broadcast or when I'm working with people is 
is trying to help people change their headspace from looking at the choices that they think they have because of the way they've been socialized and the way that they've been brought up and what they've seen on TV to realize actually the, the, the that's just the things that you've been given from the outside. Now you got to start listening to the things that you can do from the inside. Mm, I love that so much. Now, and so can, can you go a little bit deeper? Because I think that's such an important kind of topic and nail that you just hit upon just how much that affects people's fulfillment, you know, and, and how much that actually, I guess, adds to their, their level of, of how free they actually feel in life. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you, if you, if you're not aware of where your desires or goals or, you know, your career path comes from, you know, if you, if you are following the dream that you've been taught whether it's you know overtly or you know subtly through marketing or whatever, if you're not aware of that, then the only satisfaction you get from hitting your goals is like third person, third removed from any actual desire that you have inside. But when you actually, you know, if, when you can kind of open up enough that you can see other possibilities, they they can be much more subtle. The teeniest tiniest of of steps in the direction of your truth or something that feels good to you. Um, can be so much more satisfying than a massive achievement that is labeled, you know, quote, achievement from something outside yourself. Yeah, I love that. And what would you recommend for somebody that, and so what I see quite a bit is people who have been following the path, and I've seen this um, in my practice quite a bit, is they've they're they're so entrenched in the path to where they have a decent living, they're making decent money, but they're not fulfilled, and they know that there's a different calling, and they can feel the the internal the stir, but it's the thought of even disrupting that foundation or disrupting that life that they created is almost so overwhelming that they don't allow themselves to kind of explore that a little bit more. And I don't know if you have any thoughts or feedback on how people can you know go into that because it's a very it, it can be a very scary thought process of disrupting what they've been creating for the last few years and there's also the if you if you've got if you've got a belief or a, a worldview or it, it's it's almost impossible to see anything but that you know like the way that their brains work with you know cognitive bias and things like even if you don't feel good about where you are, you still only see evidence for the things that you already believe. And so it really takes, I think, I think, you know, the, the beginning steps of, of this process has to be a, a, a deep dive into understanding your brain, the way that your, your biases work and, and making space for possibilities that are not there currently, because otherwise you're presented with something amazing. You know, you like, you, you, go to a dance performance, you're tingling all over your body. You know, you're like, Oh my God, I think I want to be a dancer. And your brain goes, that is the stupidest idea ever. You know? And you just like, nobody makes money dancing and you go, you're right. That's stupid. But if you know your brain is doing that, if you know your brain is working against you to, to be open to new ideas, it like kind of, you just have an ally to work against the patterns you've got. I think on that note, you, you've kind of taken a lot of different directions in your life and where you've gone. So, you know, with that pivoting moment and with all this newfound, you know, listening to what the body's saying versus listening to what you are feeling and having this creative expression, you know, where did that take you? Uh, where did you take you down the internet to kind of get to, to where you're at? Because you've been in media for a long time now um, and kind of on that same vein you started, you're still in, uh, so I'm, you know, maybe just kind of un unveiling that story for us and some of the, the journeys you've went on to get to where you're at now currently. Sure. The... 
you know, that when I first went into publishing online, I started publishing a, a funny story uh, once a week. And I started to make more and more kind of vulnerable and revealing stories. And at one point, a significant thing happened. I, I published a story about my sexuality. It was called Open Letter to the Women of the World Regarding Helping Me Have Orgasms. At the time, I was had all sorts of issues and I was afraid of uh, underperforming. Um, I hope that's not too explicit for this audience, but the, that it was, um, I, and I, I put this online. It was funny, but it was also very revealing. And I had this response from people that, uh, you know, a huge number of men reached out and said, oh my gosh, me too. Like, this is something I have so much trouble speaking about because it, it, the traditional male story is that, uh, they come too quickly. And here you are saying this story that I have. And, and this experience that I had where people, felt this catharsis and this connection to me based on me just sharing this embarrassing, vulnerable truth was so exciting to me. And so this, like, I, I had no idea how this could possibly be a job, but I knew that this is what I wanted to do was to just share my truth, share my journey, and hopefully allow it to be a cathartic tool for others uh, to find their truth as well. And yeah. that just led to just pushing that, pushing that, pushing that mm. to the point that I just said, anytime anything came up that was scary, I just like, well, let's turn it inside out, turn it inside out. You know, I had a chance to move into a webcam house where I put everything in my life online. Oh, uh, wow. Every shower, every oh, sex, wow. everything for two, two years, everything in my life was live on the web. Oh, wow. So I, <laughs> there's so much to say about that. And, and I want to I want to thank you for your vulnerability. And, you know, one thing that I've always appreciated about you, John, is the fact that you live a very authentic life, meaning you are very comfortable with being vulnerable. And I'd love to get your feedback on, you know, was it always easy for you to be vulnerable? It sounds like, you know, like most people, it's a little bit of a process, but also how your journey of becoming not just vulnerable, but being publicly vulnerable has, uh, you know, has added to, you know, your journey has added to your fulfillment and has, you know, how much of an impact and how that impact has impacted your life. It's, it's one of the fundamental guiding points of, of everything that, that I do. And, and it's because as you said, it, it did not happen right away. You know, it was this gradual process. You know, as I started to share something that I thought was scary and I thought that people would judge me. I thought I would get, you know, people would say negative things, but almost every time that I was authentically sharing, I was met with love. Sure. There's people, there's haters that will say, but you know, it's like, you can tell so quickly when someone is being negative out of their own issues, you know, almost across the board, when I would expose something to myself, I would be embraced with love. And it just became this like process, like almost like a slow motion strip tease that over the weeks I would share more and more and more. And these things that about myself that uh, at one time I was so scared if somebody knew about me, these things that I was afraid could be rocks that people would throw at me when I embraced them and I made them public, they, they became my foundation. So I think that there's a real, you know, uh, misunderstanding in the sphere that people have that if people know my truth, you know, then they can hurt me. And I think the exact opposite is true. That if if I if I put the truth out there, I I it's no longer a weapon you can use against me. Like if I say, hey, you know, I'm kind of insecure about my skin. I get these blemishes, and it makes me, you know, I, I, I get kind of self conscious. And then you say, hey, you've got a zit. You're like, 
dude, I just said that. But if I'm afraid that you're going to like notice my, my, my zit, then the, someone goes, is something on your face? Then, then, you know, I get flushed and I'm panicked and I anxious, but the process of just like owning it, owning it, owning it, owning it. Um, it, it, it made me, it made me feel really powerful and almost in, invincible. So, so maybe walk, I, lo- I love uh, Scott's lead in that. Cause I think a lot of people struggle with putting themselves out there. And especially we live in a time where now everybody's uh, you know, online and there's a, there's a definitely a challenge with putting yourself out there at first that you go through of learning to become more comfortable. And it sounds like you were doing this, you know, in 95, 96, 97, uh, starting to learn these gates and now you've been at it. So uh, going deeper down this, is there like a process that you do to get into comfortability to share? Or is there like, do you just, have you just done it so many times that you're just like, think it, share it? Is there anything, let's say somebody's listening and having some resistance to pre and perfect or caring what other people think or kind of in that place, is there any tips or strategies that, uh, that come to mind of a process that you do just to, just to go to it? Yeah, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a philosophical kind of, perspective that I, I like to put on everything and that, that helps me. And, and that is, you know, if I am trying to be what I think you want me to be, if I'm trying to be cool, then I am, uh, I'm in a constant state of auditioning and I have a, I'm in a constant state of possibly being told that I failed and I didn't do it. And, and that's how I lived, you know, the first 25 years of my life. I didn't, know who I was. I just wanted to be cool. But when I started to have this perspective and you start to see like, you cannot fail if you are just being who you are to judge me based on my truth, to judge me based on a zit, to judge me based on a sexual thing, to judge me based on anything that's actually me. It's as crazy as judging the shape of a cloud or the color of a flower. And so if I can change my headspace from like, trying to convince people of what I am to allowing my truth to just be and see myself as every bit as natural as anything in nature. And how, how can I not be perfect from that state? It takes that, that responsibility of me trying to please people to just recognize that if somebody has an issue with me as my, if I'm being authentic and you judge it, that's a crazy thing to do. That's that's take it up with my creator, take it up with, you know, might as well judge the color of a flower. And and that kind of shift in my head, it, it, I find that to be very freeing. Mm, yeah. I love that. And I completely agree with you. So I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for, for a minute. What would you say to someone who said, look, I, I get what you're saying and it's actually really easy to be vulnerable when uh, you're good looking, you're a model, um, you really don't have much to be really vulnerable about. And you know, what would you say to something like that? I would say that's a fantastic point. And I think that it is easier uh, for someone with whatever advantage that they might have, whether it's financial security or health or all those things that absolutely, I think that that, that does make it easier. And, and as I am, uh, you know, I turned 48 this week and as, as certain parts of my body and physique and memory and skin are starting to deteriorate, I I've definitely pondered this, 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 this difference, but there is the, the same thing holds true that if, if there's judgment on something or someone, um, 
that is true. You know, like even as I look at my own judgment on myself for, you know, wishing that I was, uh, you know, as fit as I was 10 years ago, you know, I have to go through that same process myself and be like, oh, well, that's, that's crazy. Like, this is what, this is what me at 48 is like. And if I'm going to wish that's different, it's just as crazy as, as wishing, you know, the weather was different. But I agree. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't deny that uh, it's, there is more, I think it is a, a, a it takes more courage. It's a, a, a stronger warrior path. And some of that, you know, for someone who is, doesn't feel that they are, are beautiful. But I would also say that I d- didn't used to think that I was beautiful or, or a good looking person. And it was the process of learning to accept myself that I think allowed my light to shine in a way that became attractive to the outside world. Yeah. You know, I I would also say, I've mentioned this story before, so I won't go too deep into it, but uh, I did a whole year long uh, counseling certification course and we did a a really big section on shame. And, And what I really learned from that is there really isn't anybody out there that doesn't have some type of shame that they're carrying with them past or present. And including body shame. And I remember that we did a night where we did naked counseling where, you know, I think there was 120 of us and we all got naked and it was, it was an optional, it was an optional night. And the, the revelations that came from that, where you would see some of the people with like the most fantastic bodies and you would almost get annoyed with them to a point where you're like, wow, you have body shame you have body issues and you know it's just so interesting because you don't know what is going on in the background and everybody has stuff that they're dealing with and so you know just to circle back around to you being vulnerable in in whatever process that you have about insecurities about your body or whatever it happens to be i think that just really sets the stage and just give so much permission to to really be okay with with who they are and, and 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 at least be okay with the fact that they have shame you know even if they haven't overcome it so you know that's something that i've i've really taken from you and it's something that even i'm trying to get even more i'm trying to embody more of i, I feel comfortable about being vulnerable uh, on certain platforms um, I feel very comfortable being vulnerable on the podcast, but not necessarily as much on social media or, you know, I, I feel comfortable with some of my friend group, but maybe with not people that I just met and I have to kind of get that, that comfortability. So I think we all kind of have our stage of where we're at with that process. And, um, you know, I've seen you do it and it looks like you've just really created that muscle to, um, you know, not only live in your life, but to really be that advocate for other people. I think it's, it's really fantastic. I think it's, and it's, I think it's part of my Dharma. I mean, I, and I, cause I, what you said about everybody has shame, you know, and everybody has insecurities, everybody has dips and tough times. And, you know, that's that common thing about, you know, social media is the highlight reel and nobody sees, you know, you're behind the scenes. And I think that that's a real danger especially when you know so w- when people are sharing their their triumph 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 especially when people do it from a teacher or you know a coach perspective i think that there's a real danger uh when 
we make this distinction between people who have it figured out and people who don't, people who are healthy and people right. who aren't, you know, and, and so what I felt a real responsibility to share all of the, uh, of, of the vulnerability so that if somebody does see me as having something together or some positive aspect or some triumph when they, they don't think that it's not out of their reach because they are in this moment having a struggle or having doubt or having insecurities because three weeks ago I shared, Whoa, I'm having a bunch of doubt and insecurities. And then, you know, we're both walking this journey. We're both getting better at this practice of being a human, but it's not a different journey for you than me. Everything that every, every triumph that I'm, I'm celebrating is one that is accessible to everyone because every struggle that everyone is feeling is also one that is, you know, in the repertoire of everyone as well. Yeah. I, 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 what comes to mind as we've been, you guys have been talking is, uh, I know you have the book, uh, fear less, love more. Is that correct? The, the title? Yeah. Love more, fear less, float more, steer less. Yeah. And, and to me, that's really the kind of the, the root of what we're discussing is in order to feel comfortable enough in expressing and owning who we are. To me, it's about love. It's like this unconditional loving what we are, this connection between our soul and our body or whatever animates the body. Cause it's usually judgment on the body at some level and, and learning to unconditionally love the body and, and feel comfortable owning it is to me moving through that fear or judgment, which is more head energy of, of others and more of like connection between I'm going to love and own this part of me. Um, and then even put it out to the world in that ownership. And I think it's really a, a, a practice of love. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm, uh, you've done so many different things. Um, and I know it's kind of, I think I even initially met you at Burning Man with uh, a girl, you guys were running around in pink. Um, and this was years and years ago. I think this was, was your partner back then. Um, yeah. and even, and you guys even expressed yourself fully, um, online as well. You got to such the deep level that, uh, and I'm curious to me, that's so, uh, vulnerably strong, um, to be able to feel comfortable, like, okay, I'm going to keep going down this rabbit hole and express that. I'm curious, did you guys have challenges and things that came up to be able to go there? Was it just something in the moment you were like, man, I just did two years of showing it, you know, people seeing everything that I'm doing. Why not? Was it just normalized then? Or was it still uncomfortable? Or I'm curious about that process that you went through. There was, I mean, the, the, the webcam house, you know, really kind of broke down a lot of, of my concerns about acting or pretending because, you know, when I first moved in to the, the webcam house for the first 48 hours, I was trying to act in a way that I thought would be impressive. You know, I was enunciating and had good posture. And then pretty soon you realize <laughs> yeah. you just, you can't act all the time. You just can't, you know? So you, so I had to go through this like intense, rapid personal psychotherapy of like, am I at peace with who I am in the world? You know, I, I might lose my temper here and there. I might, you know, scratch myself. But if you watched for a couple of days and you saw me being me, am I okay with that? And there were certain things during that process that I did realize that I, I was, I had shame about, you know, like there was, um, the things that I did not have shame about was being naked or having sex. The things that I did have shame about was losing my temper or gossiping. Mm -hmm. And so that was a like real huge awareness of like, Oh, the kind of person that I want to be in the world um, is, is not ashamed, you know, is not uh, embarrassed about the, the, the parts of being a human. It's a, it's a, the, parts that are not loving about the parts that are pulling, dragging things down that is adding you know, negativity to the world. 
So then from there going into, you know, more and more sexuality uh, was, it was, it, it truthfully, it was like an art project for me. It was like, here's the thing that feels powerful and it feels real and it feels like it's connected to uh, personal expression and creativity and divinity and spirituality. And yet it is so shameful and it's so not acceptable. And I had this real powerful uh, moment where I, I just had this awakening, like this is my calling. This is not a calling, but like my, my cause, you know, I'm a, I'm a privileged white guy. I'm not going to march in any parades about um, gay rights or, uh, or people of color, but sexual shame was something that I felt was hugely detrimental for our mm. culture. And I was in a place where I could speak to that in a courageous way. So that was, I started doing all these things uh, with sexuality and uh, the house. And I we started doing an event called Global Gasm, where we invited people all over the world to have sex in front of their webcams at the same oh, time, wow. <laughs> which was hugely awesome. And And I did all these things with my full name. And I did all these things, you know, tried to get press for it. With the, with the uh, objective of trying to um, kind of take the brunt of a little bit of, of knee-jerk judgment while also hoping to soothe and calm the, 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 the climate that made talking about or celebrating this stuff wrong. Well, so, so, and I, I love this right here because I think, and I, I have a question, but I want to preface it with, uh, I'm doing a lot in men's work now. And you know, there's for anybody out there that's a man listening, there's a great book I highly recommend called Iron John. And it talks about the mythology that we all go through. And one of the fundamental things we need as men is to break this uh, conditioning or they use a story of steal the key from our mother underneath our mother's pillow. And it usually goes against what family thinks we should do in doing our own thing. And a lot of times they don't approve, but it actually is what sets us free. And so I'm curious in you choosing to make these choices, was it challenging with family or, uh, or had you already moved past that? Or did it, did it require you to say, I'm following my own vein, whether or not anybody's supportive or what did you actually have support for it? Curious that process around it. So that, yeah, that, the, the other huge uh, kind of crossroads in my life is when I decided to go full bore into public discussions and sharing of my sexuality. Um, because I had this, epiphany and awareness that, uh, that this was a cause that was calling to me. At the same time, everybody I knew, every family member, every friend, every colleague was like, this is crazy. This is, you're going to ruin your career. At the time I was doing all this cool internet stuff and speaking at South by Southwest and doing all this, like I had a, a, a solid career going in, in the pioneering web stuff. And uh, everybody told me this is a terrible idea. But there, but I. This is when I really sunk into the love more, fear less. Where I realized, at this moment in my life, one direction is the path of love, and the other is the path of fear. If I'm afraid of the consequences of of doing this thing, that's fear. But the loving act of trying to spend my energy, my passions, my resources towards making the world a more loving, better place. Like when I broke it down like that, it was obvious. And then I just had to do what I was called to do and face the, the consequences. So, but this is what's so powerful because I think this is where a lot of, a lot of us and I'll talk cause I've been stopped many times. And, you know, I think the more I've stepped into my career, it's exactly what you said. It's like you, more you learn to follow your purpose, the more people that you're wanting that respect and admiration and appreciation for reject you. Yeah. And at first you get a lot of this rejection and it requires that faith 
of choosing to trust or follow that something inside of yourself, which goes back to this whole conversation of vulnerability, you know, trusting the self, loving who we are, like in order to actually feel the calling, feel the purpose, feel what I'm supposed to do, we got to feel it. Um, and it requires going through the judgment of disassociating or beating ourselves up to learning to, to love it and trust it to say, where do we want to go? So I'm curious, you know, in those moments, um, it, it sounded like for you, it was just like, this is feeling, was it more of a feeling? Was it like for somebody listening that may be at these crossroads now is I guess where I'm wanting to distill this from. And if they're a little bit of like, man, I'm, I feel like I need to go this way, but uh, cause that's usually where it shows up for me. It's usually my body's telling me what's a yes or no. And my head's trying to rationalize or listen to get validation from other people. Right. I'm curious what your take the plunge and, and again, go in this direction that could have risked your career or could have risked all this. What were you listening to? Was it a feeling or was it a, a, something you was guiding you? What was that distinction? I think it was, it was definitely feeling, you know, it, it's one of those things that it, it, it wouldn't have worked to do a list of pros and cons because as you said, it's, it's, it, it couldn't, it's not a logic decision. Um, the, the, the logic and the thinking is, is, was the path that I've, that's the one that everyone else has taken, you know, and, and but for it to be my own path, it had to be listening to the feeling. And, and it really came down to, to, to sitting with, uh, the, the two directions and feeling which one, you know, made me feel I, I'm like, I'm my hand gestures are like wiggling right now, but like, uh, made me feel like this is the loving path and which is the fearful path. And would, and, and also kind of projecting into the future and saying like, if I follow the path of love and there are consequences, I will still sleep great and know that I followed my heart. If I follow the fear path and no, even if it goes great, I will always wonder, should I have been more courageous? Should I have taken the warrior path? And so just, and I just, that knowledge can, can allow a consequence that feels negative to, or feels like it's, it has negative consequences to, to go, how do I know? I, I truly believe that if you follow that, you know, that feeling of this is the loving path, this is, this is me at my highest, regardless of consequence or, or, or where it leads, it will lead to the exact perfect place eventually, whether you can see it or not in the moment. And actually, so my decision in that moment of the, the sexuality path, like it, the, the several years after that, everybody was right. I, nobody wanted to hire me because I had, you know, I, I now, you know, my Wikipedia page in my resume was filled with things like global gas and the masturbate-a-thon and stuff like that. But then uh, I got asked to audition for a show on NBC.com and I went into this, this audition. And I told them like, Hey, look, I, I have a pretty gritty past. You know, you don't have to be that good at Google to find a naked picture of me, but if you want real, then this is who I am. And they hired me. So all of a sudden the top thing on my resume was a host of a show on NBC.com called fears, regrets, desires. So I went from all of a sudden, everything I'd done previous to that was vetted by NBC. So by following my heart, it actually led mm -hmm. me to a way more exciting and awesome destination than if I would have followed the safe path that everyone was advising me on. You know, as you're talking, yeah. I, I I love that story, and you know the the energy also that it takes to not be yourself. Right, you were talking about the webcam house, right. and there's just so much more energy that it takes to put up the front and it almost becomes exhausting. And I think once you start to 
I think allow yourself and be okay with being vulnerable, being okay with all of your human, beautiful human imperfections. It makes us just feel lighter in the world. I mean, and you, you want to talk about, you know, we always talk about this, this metaphor about, you know, the world's a mirror and, and all of our intimate partners are a mirror and all of this. I mean, <laughs> you've had like the most literal mirror that I think we've ever had on the show. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, that is... That that comes up so often when I'm talking to people and, and trying to give people permission to live more effortlessly. And by that, I mean, by just allowing yourself to be. There is so much, I think, pressure from social media and narratives that we get fed in all these ways of like, you know, make it happen, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. And there's this, a lot of that is in trying to create a, a, a path for yourself, an identity for yourself, a brand for yourself that is, is, is not authentic. And I think that there can be, it might lead to the destination that that book or that speaker, you know, was telling you about, but who knows if that's the destination or, or the path that is authentic and feels right to you. And so it takes way less effort to just be you. And I think leads to the destination that is what the world needs from you. Right. Yeah, just a, just a quick comment on this too. I know uh, a couple of years back, and this must have been 2011, I think, I did this, you know, because for me, it was money. That was kind of one of the things that I thought would bring me what I was searching for, what would make me feel enough. You know, if we go back to the root of uh, me feeling not enough, if I'm enough, I'll have the money, then I'll be enough. And so the image I thought I needed to portray is having all this money. And I remember I, I finally made some money and I rented a $3,000 mansion and I did this whole filming thing to build the site, which is still the site I have. Uh, but I remember like two years ago, all of a sudden I was looking at my site and I'm like, this isn't me. Right. <laughs> so it's like such an interesting of like the effort, the time, all this that went, but it literally was a production for what I was, what I thought it needed to look like to be um, successful or professional or whatever that image is of to feel enough. And, you know, it never really felt right. Even though I was trying to create it, I was like creating this vision of what I wanted to be. And the irony is now that I've uh, kind of surrendered into like trusting, like exactly what you're describing, having faith, trusting, going against the grain, kind of saying, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And I, I surrender to whatever happens. I'm like, what resonates now? And it's like really heartfelt images or I want to change the whole look and feel of it. And it's, uh, I love what you're, you're bringing up, Scott, because I do. I think sometimes it's a lot more energy to put out there to try to play this game uh, for everybody else. <laughs> and it's, but it's definitely a process to learn to, to, to love ourselves. I think that's what we're all learning to do uh, more of. It's, it, it's loving yourself. And I think it's also discovering your gifts so that you can be of service. And it's from that place, part of the, the whole, this massive journey of, of authenticity and vulnerability is so that you can see who you are and what the gifts you have to share with the world. And then when you go out and walk that path and share those gifts, it's effortless, it's joyful, and people respond to it in this powerful way. And I, I see that from both of you guys and the way that you guys show up in the world. And I think that's why people respond so well. Yeah. Well, and I, and I just want to tack onto that because when you when we kind of bring this back to fulfillment, a layer or two even below happiness or success, it's, I feel like at the end of your life, when you're, when you're living, going back to what you said, John, when you're living a more authentic 
life, right? It, it is more free-flowing. It's easier. It doesn't take up as much energy. And at the end of the day, I think that's where you're going to just feel more fulfillment. And then on the other side of it, or not the other side, but the additional part of it, what you just brought up is how do we really express our heart-based passions? You know, the things that we just love to do, even if it's not our vocation, right? Even if it's not um, what makes us money, but how, you know, if we just love to dance in our bedroom to '80s music or whatever it happens to be, how do we make time for that? How do we make time to spend time in nature if that's what just really creates our bliss? You know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's 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 really allowing to carve out our life in a way that that allows us to bring these items into um, you know our daily life. Our, our daily interactions. I think a, a part of that too is how do we do it, but also how can we find a way to give ourselves permission or find a community that gives us permission? You know, to go back to Burning Man, one of the things that is is so powerful about the discovery of of a Burning Man community or, or really any community that is supportive and and reflects back to you that they want to see more of your truth is that we are so often raised in a, an environment where we're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do in this whole acting, this, this effort, you know, like, what, are, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And then when, when you're given permission to do what you want, it's incredibly foreign until the first time you experience it. And then it is so liberating. And so if it's dancing in your room and, you know, to eighties music in, if you don't feel like you have permission, it's this huge conflict of a desire. I mean, and, and versus it, so then you can be successful. You can be fulfilled. You can be in your purpose with something as simple as dancing by yourself in your room or, you know, or, or, or being a better listener. I mean, there's these teeny tiny ways. I think one of the traps that people fall into is like, Oh, I, I want to make a difference. So I need to dig a thousand wells and, and, and cure a disease. Like, no, you just have to be authentically you and trust that if you are the healthy cell in the cosmic organism that you're supposed to be, you're playing the exact part that you're supposed to be. And it's not up to you to judge the the magnitude of that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I would also add to that, um, it's not one particular thing. You know, I think you said before, it's like, we're looking for that one thing, you know, our, our, our Mother Teresa purpose. Right. And it doesn't have to be that way. It could be something very small and there could be a few different things. And it typically is. We've got, you know, we are multi faceted, multi-passionate beings. And, um, you know, I know for me, when I got exposed to Burning Man, it literally gave me permission. I, I started to sew and, and, and modify clothes. I started fire dancing just like Josh does. I started doing all of these other expressions that I really had no idea that I even thought I would not only like, but would be accepted in my old, in my old community. And so from that, I actually kind of like to pivot a little bit about how you're bringing in fulfillment through the Burning Man camp that you have been, you know, organizing for, I believe it was, you know, what, 10 years now. Um, And so can you explain a little bit about, um, you know, how your passion is being expressed through that modality? Sure. All right. Well, so this will be my 22nd year to the Burning Man, but it's the 10th year of Pink Heart. Mm. And, and I mean, it, for those that have not visited, it, it's a, a, a massive pink shade structures, pink fur couches. Uh, we, have, uh, we serve chilled cucumber water and vegan ice cream. And we've spent a lot of energy making a space that is uh, safe 
we say that we're a, a lighthouse for body, mind, spirit. So if you're lost, we're so bright, pink day and night that you can find your way home. If you're out in the open desert, we are, if your body is out of alignment, we've got the water to recalibrate your biology. And then we've got the couches so you can sit down and look out over the open playa or connect with a new friend and, and try to anchor these mind blowing experiences. And the thing that was that, you know, Burning Man allows, which I think it, it, it's really just a reminder that we have this ability anywhere, but it really pushes you to say, what do you want to do? Like, what dream do you want to make happen? You know, what outfit do you want to wear? Do you, you want to be a Viking? <laughs> Put on a dress like a Viking. You know, you want to walk around on all fours and bark, walk around on all fours and bark. You want to create your literal dream of a pink fur oasis, make it. And, and what's cool is that because of the theme camp uh, structure, you know, people get together and they create a gift that is larger than you could do by yourself. You know, I put out this idea into the world and people got together and, and started being attracted to it that wanted to make this happen. And then the more that we got in alignment about what we wanted to create and the, the energy and the heart opened a heart opening that we wanted to to allow in people, people started to to bring their art into it, and and people started to discover their art. There was a a, a guy in camp, Devin, who one year just started decorating the the lighting inside our pink dome, and just started just becoming so focused on the perfect lighting to create. Uh, an environment that would uh, be light enough so that people could see each other's faces and not so dark that people would go to sleep. And, and it was, it, it was an area that didn't even occur to me was an area of artistic expression. And he didn't even know that it was something he cared about. But once he got on the ladder and started tweaking it, it's like he lit up and this artistic part of him, you know, just like this is, he's, he's meant to do this. And he's like, and, and, and the way that, the playa allows people to find all these different avenues that like you didn't even know it was a way that you could express yourself. And, and then you do it and you're like, Oh, 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 Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a puppeteer or, Oh, I'm a lighting guy. Oh, I'm a, I'm a listener. So the, the pink heart um, is, you know, a, a microcosm of that happening all over Burning Man. And it's been such a, a, a powerful experience for me to, to follow this personal dream while also kind of interweaving dreams and, and having a, a dream evolve with a community of people. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I really resonate with it too. Cause I, uh, we've had the wonders camp for, I think this is going on the 12th year. Uh, and I really resonate how it starts small, you know, it just starts small with a, a vision and, you know, a couple people, and then it starts to build from there and that can, cons- that consistency. And, and now we're at the stage where it's starting to shift and I can, I can watch it you know, kind of growing where people are getting more involved. But I really, uh, to tie back something you said earlier about sharing your gifts, to me, that's the primary, one of the primary fundamentals of it is really like discovering what your gifts are uh, and, you know, kind of having this pink heart that represents it. Uh, just kind of curious, your, uh, your, what you, what you, like, how does that, is it just something that you have created every year? Is it, is it something that now everybody kind of takes on and, and is expanding or, is it kind of taken on and it's growing its own thing or are you still primarily driving that or is now, has it reached the point where it's just expanding because people run with it? Well, oh, it's definitely, definitely way beyond me right now. I, I went to a, a, 
Burning Man Theme Camp Symposium a couple months ago, and, and my my label, I mean, my name tag said uh, Pink Heart, and my role was Camp Mascot. Because at this point, there's so many people that have taken over uh, so much of the the leadership and the 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 work. So like our, our we have a, a monthly camp meeting, and I do an opening and a closing, and I kind of address certain things. But now there's after ten years, there's so many people that are so passionate and so um, you know that, that that who have gifts in all these different areas, like. We didn't used to have any camp meals, and now we have people who are so into the art of creating these beautiful, healthy, and and community building meals together. So that's a whole part of the camp that people are, are drive. And then there's, you know, decorating things, and then there's the logistical things, and and people each bring their talents and their gifts. And that's the thing that that I thought that I found so kind of was a huge shift for me is when the first year of the camp, I felt like I had this idea, and I was convincing everybody to help me make this camp. And so I was trying to pay everybody with gratitude and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then on Playa, a guy came up to me who had put so many hours of labor in and his hands were covered in burns from welding things. And, and he just came, he was kind of a macho guy and he came up to me just, just in tears. And he said, thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. And I, I mean, I was speechless because I'm like, I, what? Like, I, here I am feeling guilty that I can't thank you enough. And it, it, it just, this huge switch happened in my head. We're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, this isn't mine. You know, this is ours. And my gift in this scenario is that I can see the vision a little bit clearer than you can right now. And so my gift is that your gift is something else. And in our culture, there are so many people that are starving for an opportunity to use their talents towards something that matters to them. That if you can provide the opportunity for someone to apply their talent, their time towards something that matters to them, it's 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 they don't they, that's why they thank you. And then it becomes something like you can you can you can be in your joy even if you're doing something that doesn't actually bring you joy. You you can be an accountant that is living joyfully because you're giving your gifts towards a project that you believe in. And that, you know, like that whole just changed everything for me. Like you don't have to be like skipping and laughing and dancing all the time to be enjoying what you're doing. If what you're doing is in the direction of something that matters. I love that. What, uh, any other suggestions? Cause I think even though we've been doing it a long time, I think uh, ours been a little bit more personal just cause it's been the wondrous camp, which was dedicated to my brother at first um, after he transitioned. And, and I know I want to get to, uh, you've been around a lot of transition as well. And so we have a, that connection. Um, and I think now we're at the place where it's like needing expansion and we're kind of at that that precipice of allowing the space and creating the space for people to start to take it um, from us. And I think part of it's been our healing, <laughs> you know, and now we're kind of like, okay, we can still be a part of this, but it's just a lot of work and, you know, tra- transitioning that to other people who can pick up those. W- what was your process in that? Was it more the vision and creating that vision. And that's what I heard you say earlier, just aligning on the vision of what it stands for and what it represents. And then allowing people to, to that were standing on the sidelines waiting to, to step into those roles, take them. Is that just that, that transition? Yes. And, and feeling like, you know, letting go of, uh, the specifics of what things are going to look like and, and come out having a few things that, that I, that, that, and getting everybody on the same page, like here are the, 
here's, here's our mission. Here's some things that we absolutely do as a camp, you know, here's our Pantone pink color. So as long as you don't stray from that, the, you know, if you come at me and say, Hey, we want to build a big green tower, I'm going to say, <laughs> no, no. But if you want to build a pink tower, sure. Hey, if you, if that's, if you think that's going to add to what we're doing and so kind of encouraging everybody to, to see the direction that we're going and then, um, uh, trusting that, that it's gonna, it's gonna add to, to the, the, you know, the destination, even though I don't know what that destination is anymore. There's a lot of camps, you know, where the, 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 the person driving and is, has a very strict vision and they, they have this, you know, expectation of excellence and they require a, an absolute um, adherence to a plan. And I have a lot of respect for, for people to do that. I know people that, you know, build art cars that have a, that lead it like a, you know, very strict with how, what they expect from people. And Pinkheart has always been very loose and kind of trusting that if you get what, what the vibe we're trying to do, then I trust that whatever you want to add to it is going to 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 enhance it. Um, now, the 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 thing that you know, as far as transition from you know uh, people who started something to um, people who have inherited it, that's a struggle that I think you see across you know startup companies as well as theme camps it's a it's a very difficult thing to to match the excitement of creating something versus you know inheriting something or 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 building infrastructure around an idea and it's something that that uh that we you know we're in this a process of, of doing that right now. And, and I guess maybe I should say, you know what, let me, let, give me a year or two and then I'll, then I'll have some better <laughs> advice. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I think just it came out of surprise. I knew you had the camp, but this was just love the conversation. Cause it gave me a lot of ideas that I hadn't even reflected on. And uh, that's, what's great about this process. It's like, Oh wow. And it, it's really about realizing there's a lot more places for people to give is what I'm getting from this. And so thank you. Uh, thanks. This is already super helpful and uh, kind of a surprise I didn't expect of like, oh, wow, there's this whole other area uh, that I relate to uh, that I think more people can give their gifts and find connection. Um, and it's a, a great win-win. So I uh, appreciate that. I'm curious, uh, Scott and I have talked a lot about Burning Man and how it provides fulfillment to us because it's so fulfilling and been such a part of our lives. Uh, for you to have been around so many years, I'm curious, you know, what, what do you feel Burning Man provides for you and your levels of fulfillment? Well, one of the most important projects that I've been doing for years is I have a series of, of tips and tricks videos about Burning Man that explain the principles and kind of how to uh, appreciate the culture. And, and one of the reasons why I feel so, I feel it's so important is because I think that, you know, Burning Man is this incredible gathering. It's, but it's easy to go there and, think that you just went to the coolest party in the world. But I think that if you understand the principles and why things happen and why people interact differently there and, you know, what gifting truly is and what radical inclusion truly is, you know, um, and radical self-expression, then, then suddenly you see, Oh, that's why these strangers looked me in the eye that way. That's why I got invited into this camp. That's why. And, and, and when you have that context, it's not just this like, wow, I guess it's a miracle that we all acted like a family for a week. No, it's not a miracle. It's actually because of this, these, this, these principles, which are principles that you can bring into your default world. It's way harder in the default world because you don't have the same support and reminders, but you can definitely do it. So for me to, to try to um, speed up 
that process of awareness of like, oh, I see what's going on here is, uh, gives me a massive amount of, of fulfillment. And then trying to help people to bring those same lessons into their default world and giving them the courage and the permission to, and the community and the support that you have on Playa and try to bring that into their default world lives uh, is, is probably the, the most profound feeling of fulfillment that I have. Yeah. And for those of you who out there who don't know or, or haven't been to Burning Man, John has been doing these kind of tips and trips, uh, tips and tricks, you know, advice on Burning Man, on the principles of Burning Man. And actually, this is something that you might find interesting. Before I started, I was going online. I think my first year was 2006. And I was just looking for some additional information and just kind of uh, prep for my journey to the playa for the first time. And I came across, um, I don't know if it was the very first time, but it was the very first few times I went, um, I came across one of your videos and I wasn't sure if you were the, the official or the unofficial spokesman of Burning Man, but uh, I, I remember very distinctively uh, your message and, and, and how much I actually was impacted by that. And so, you know, I, I think the question that I have for you is, you know, part of your fulfillment and, and part of where I see your, you know, your mission and your dharma is to really be an active part of community. It's one thing that I've seen you do so well is, you know, be a voice and also be a container for community. And, you know, I think the question that I have, you know, and this is more of a personal question is, as I'm starting to really build out what I'm looking to gift and contribute to the world. You know, I'm, I'm very clear now about the next stages and my offerings of, of what I want to offer and also realizing that having community support is going to be critical for me to really accelerate that and to really get my voice out there. And for someone who, you know, I, I, I call myself an intro, I'm an introvert by nature, but I'm a learned extrovert, meaning I can go on stage, I can give talks, and I'm, and I'm good at it, but it's not where I get my, I guess, my natural energy. And so I have a tendency to not be as bold in that area. And it's one of the things that I've really admired about you. And I don't know if you have any suggestions with people listening or to myself on um, maybe practices on how to get more actively involved in community or to get my voice out there or anything like that. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, a part of me that, that feels like I need to answer this with a, a an explanation of like, I too feel that I am uh, extroverted and introverted. I too still deal with anxiety. I, I still, you know, have to sometimes really psych myself up before certain public situations. And sometimes what I, I'll tell people that and they'll start laughing. They're like, no, seriously, no, I, I, like, but, but in, at other times I have, I have a, a mastery of, you know, flamboyancy and things. Um, and, you know, the whole process that, you know, we've been talking about over the, 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 the my life and the stories, some of it has been creating a, uh, an awareness or a, like the reason why I changed my middle name to Halcyon uh, partially because I wanted to create a category of one, you know, if I didn't want to compare myself to other people, I didn't want to compete with anybody. The same, the same reasons that I didn't want to go to Hollywood and I was afraid of, you know, submitting, um, being rejected by manuscripts. Like there is this kind of fear and, and, uh, or, uh, uh, 
potentially negative part of my, my makeup that I found a way to turn into a positive by creating kind of a, a category of one and that then, you, you know, like me or hate me, um, that is, uh, you certainly can't compete with it. And, 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 and so that combined with, um, that, uh, love more, fear less is, is the, the thing that, that I kept have to practice. And, and I'll say that, you know, it's, it, it is still a practice for me. It is still a practice of, of having to use my tools of having to remind myself of the things I know to be true. You know, I, I teach these things and I coach these things and I, I have to practice these things because, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not a hundred percent super confident, ready to, 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 um, to wear fur pants on a speaker uh, at all times. You know, I, I, I really love this cause I feel like this is, we end up teaching what we need the most because I'm doing all this work around grief and loss in the heart. And I, I'm like, every time I'm doing this work, I'm like, I need this. <laughs> totally. You know? And it's, I find at the end of the day, you end up creating structures or community. Uh, it's like, it's more what I'm at least discovering is how do I give my gifts and how do I create a culture where I get to keep giving my gifts to keep learning what I need to learn. So it's almost like a, a, a two-folded thing. My gift includes what I need. So it's almost like this weird, uh, interesting, how everything else seems to work in the universe where it's super, um, um, not in, it's not always an intuitive. It's almost like, ah, uh, what I give is actually the part that I need to keep learning. I don't know if you find the same thing. And you- Totally, totally, totally. Like, so I, I, I have a coaching program called The Pink Path. And I, 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 I kind of feel like I'm inviting people on a hike around this 12 week journey. Now it's a hike that I've done many, 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 many times, but I'm still hiking it with you. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something we do together because as you said, like I, these are the things that I, I, I'm learning, but it's also the more times I do the hike, the more I enjoy the hard parts of the hike too. (laughs) Totally. It's like you, well, you, I think there's different levels. It's like you get to deep, you get to see something over and over again. And I guess, to Scott's point earlier too, that's one of my questions for you is you've been doing hug nation for how long? Uh, it started after nine 11. So 2018 years almost. Okay. So I have, like, if I look at a couple of these areas of your life, which you, I think you really own this, uh, hug nation, 18 years, which is a weekly show. It's amazing. I highly recommend it. If, if it's super connective, super loving, super supportive and gentle, and we all need more hugs and love. Uh, which I'd love you to talk about in a minute, but I, I, I see this trend in your life with how long did you say you've been doing the homeless program? Is it nine years? Nine years. Nine years of the homeless program, you know, now over a decade, uh, Bernie Man, Pink, you know, Pink Camp, even though you've been going over 20 years, you know, you've been doing Hug Nation. So uh, with the consistency for you, you know, uh, I think it's a really important through line I see with you. Uh, I'm just curious where that, that inspiration comes from because I see a lot of people that are always craving like new and different and change and they have trouble with the consistency because uh, it is it's a lot of work uh, it's a it, it, you have to make a decision you have to cut off other choices in order to, to keep creating that and to keep finding new ways to, to add value make it creative curious what's behind that for you what's the fulfillment in you to keep doing these things after all these years well what's interesting is that for for a long time I had a story about myself that I didn't stick with anything and that I that I didn't 
you know, I had trouble committing. And then I had this, you know, realization lately as I, I was looking at those same numbers that you just said, I'm like, wait a minute, there are some things that I'm absolutely committed to. And the, the thing that of the, all those three, three things that you mentioned, all of them are in that target zone of they, they are my gifts and they make me feel authentically me. And it, it allows me to gift people and lift people up and, uh, and do so while sharing my true authentic, like what, what I have to offer. And so I continue to do those things, um, partially because they light me up and they make me feel like I'm contributing and, and, and doing, playing the role that I'm supposed to play in, in the unfolding of everything. And then the other part of it is just like, part of being authentic and vulnerable is, is that satisfaction feeling that no matter what happens at the end of the day, I feel like I'm doing my best. I'm doing good. And and if I stick with something that I know is, uh, that is, I mean, by doing the things that I'm meant to do on and over and over and over and over again, um, I just get to go to bed at night and feel like, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. This feels good. And it's, it's, it's as simple as that. And I, and I recognize that, you know, this has been a, you know, multi-decade uh, journey. And there's tons of things that I've tried that did not stick, that did feel like I was pushing, you know, you know, I'd say they float more, steer less. There, there are times when I feel like, Ooh, I am paddling against the current. This doesn't feel right. But then when something feels like the current is pushing me in this direction, that's when you start, you know, paddling in the direction of the current and, and, and these projects find their legs and, and become effortless and, and are just beautiful. I love that. I feel like that, that ties back to our earlier, you know, feeling what feels like resistance, what feels like flow, uh, and then trusting the flow. And then I'm, uh, I really like that. I feel like that helps ground in too, for people just again, discovering what is my flow? How do I find it? Uh, but again, I, I would also say sometimes that flow is scary at first. So it may, it's, it may seem their mind might think it's scary. It's maybe a better way to position the mind might say, this makes no sense. There is no plan. I can't see anything, but the body's saying, yes, yes. <laughs> and as you said, everyone around you is going to say, you're crazy. Yeah. Don't do that. You're That's crazy. stupid. Don't That's do stupid. That. <laughs> Don't do that. You'll never make money doing that. No one's going to want to do that. And then yeah. sometimes you take that step and then it's like, it's so whole, a whole of the direction that you didn't know or you didn't dream of and something else shows up. Uh, right. uh, I'm, I'm curious, your, uh, I know your grandfather has had a big part of your journey. I'm curious some of the lessons you've gotten from, from your grandfather. Yeah, I was very lucky to spend uh, his last three years of his life. Uh, we, we, he was my co-host for Hug Nation for three years. So for three years, I would go to his retirement village and fire up his webcam and we would, uh, we would do a broadcast together. And he was a retired Baptist minister. And, but at the end of his life, he considered himself, he called himself a Baptist Buddhist and just was really not into, he actually said, I don't like the word Christian because it's associated with the church and dogma. I'm more of a Jesus man. Just like I, I listen to the to followings of Jesus. And so he had this intense gratitude that was, I mean, just being in his presence and seeing him, you know, look at a tree and talk about a conversation or, or look at a menu and, this, you could see that like, wow, this guy has, he owns nothing. You know, he doesn't lock his door. He had, you know, he doesn't, he has no money and he is the richest man I've ever met because he just lives in this state of gratitude. And that, you know, it, it was less about the words that he shared and more about this kind of, uh, this profound gratitude that I got to watch. And, and then the, the even more powerful thing was 
you know, after he died when he was 94, almost 95. And as I watched him deteriorate at the end, here was a man who lived his entire life pursuing his values and trying to spread love in the world. And so one of the last things he did, he went on a tour of all his old parishes and met all these, you know, families that had grown up and kids who are now grandparents and, and got to receive all of this love, you know, reap what he sowed of this years and years and years of spreading love into the world. And then when I got to see him die and to see how peaceful he was and how he, you know, he, he said, you know, like his last words as he was being brought into, uh, from the hospital into hospice, his last words were, isn't this exciting? I don't know what the next chapter is. And, and witnessing that, I was like, that's like, that's what I want. You know, like I, 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 there's, there is no shiny car, no mansion, no, you know, orgy that I, that I want as much as I want to be able to, at the end of my life, say, isn't this exciting? I don't know what the next chapter is. And I think it's that living in love and and following your ideals and being authentic and not trying to be anything except a servant. That's how you get there. It sounds like he really lived like truly a fulfilled life. Like he was a rich, rich man. You know, we have this, this this saying that we do in the podcast a lot of times is we we have this what what's called the rocking chair moments, where we kind of envision ourselves at the end of our lives and we're in our rocking chair and we're you know the last few years of our lives and we're just looking out into the prairie or to the city or wherever we happen to be living at the time, and we're thinking to ourselves, God, this was a good life. And what's, what's that feeling? You know, why was it a good life? You know, was it because of all these, you know, trophies that you won or this money that you made or, you know, what was it to you that made you feel like you had a, a fulfilling life, a great life. And, you know, I, I'm listening to you talking about your grandfather, you know, what would he say? You know, if he was with us right now, you know, why was your life so fulfilling? What would he say? He said that he would he would pursue it was his pursuit of work, worship, love, and play. And I love I love that he includes play, and I also love that he includes work. You know, like it's 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 and it's you know not making money, but but using your talents and towards something that matters. And work, work, and worship. What was the third one? Love and uh, play. Work, worship, love, and play. And I think also that, you know, he, he definitely felt like a, a servant and he, he followed Jesus. And as someone who had for many years had a, a struggle with the church and with Christianity, uh, he helped me to um, reacquaint myself with uh, the possibility of being an absolute amazing person while, uh, while also being a, a Christian. So it was, uh, and, and, and it, it through that, that route of being a, uh, a servant just trying to 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 spread love and and uh i think that's a that's that's what i want to be thinking about in the rocking chair hmm. yeah I, I have a question too with you through your process a lot of people have a lot of resistance when you know it's it's not baked into the we fear death i think as a society um and it's really painful and uncomfortable um, but I think just from hearing your process, it sounds like you were able, because to me, the work around the heart is the more we can learn to be authentic, the more we, everything you've been talking about is kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of us are trained where they say, there's this amazing quote, but I think it's Hare Krishna of like, um, it, it is not a measure of 
of health to be well uh, well equipped to a sick society or something like that. Right, right, right. Krishnamurti, is that who said that? Yeah, yeah. Krishnamurti. And uh, I think what we're talking about is that's what society kind of directs us on and we all start to live down this path. And then it's like we awaken and find our truth in our heart and it's like this rejection and resistance and at first to go against the sick society to then follow our truth. And then there's this uh, peace and joy. And the way to do it is through feeling and getting into our heart. And and part of that is a lot of my journey down grief and loss and all this is actually learning to be okay with the messiness and the heaviness. And uh, a lot of what I love you've been talking about is the insecurities and the shame and going in mm. and feeling those things and being with those parts of ourselves and loving them, unconditionally loving the parts of ourselves just the way they are, whether there are core wounds of feeling abandoned or not enough that may always feel not enough at times and being gentle with ourselves when it surfaces. And I find the more we are able to go into these areas versus, you know, go, instead of going into the sick society, the more we can go into us and, and keep feeling us, keep loving us, keep going deeper. What I find it prepares us for is when those we love start to deteriorate or actually transition, um, one, we're able to kind of maximize the moment sooner. And I think that's a, a connection between the three of us, both Scott and I've talked a lot. I mean, we've, uh, he's brought, you know, his father would come to uh, the wonders camp many years. We all camped together. So we were much more inclusive of like, how do we get the juice out of spending time with the people we love instead of the age old, like, Oh, your parents are your parents. And they, you know, they're not to be your friends. We're like, no, to us, it feels like, how do I make them our friends? And how do we get the juice out of every moment? And so I think there's this, this process of, learning to be one to break the mold and create what we want it to be from our end of it. And sometimes we have to lead that. And then two, um, I find once that transition starts happening, it's either happened or it's happening. We're able to lean into it a little bit more. Um, and instead of going the other direction, it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is you able, you were able to lean into it even through those moments of him up to his last words, being there with him. Um, and just curious if anybody else is maybe going through that process um, any, any things that you did to, again, lean into the grief of, of what it's like going through that. Cause it's, it's challenging and difficult, but it can also be, uh, from my perspective, the reframe, one of the most sacred, beautiful things you can possibly do with somebody is to be there with them and present, allowing your emotions to come up and, and observing those and then still staying present versus kind of wanting to get away from it, which is what a lot of us tend to want to do. So I'm just curious that process in it, not just the beauty and the joy, but I guess the duality yeah. of the pain and the struggle and the grief of this man that's been such an icon. And I think some of your, either our other talks or stuff, he was really this strong, almost like father figure, grandfather, but almost like really strong best friend, father figure, deeply, deeply connection and being present through that as you watch, witnessed him knowing he was transitioning at some point. And uh, again, I like the to me, that the Hug Nation is one of the things I saw as a way of you connecting and going deeper into that. Like, hey, I'm going to come over every week and we're going to hang, you know, right through this. But I'm just curious, that experience, kind of the messiness and what you did to tune into that and be with it and be present with that and uh, kind of the, the the fulfillment through the messiness, if that if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I mean, one thing, it's a little different. Um the loss of a grandparent because you're kind of raised knowing that grandparents aren't there forever. So I think it's a little bit of a, an easier grief to lean into than, than when you're not expecting. Yeah. I but agree. that being said, you know, there's, I had a pretty powerful experience at the Burning Man temple, uh, I don't know, seven years ago or something. And, you know, temple is where people, 
uh, write messages to people they've lost or put up pictures and uh, really profound, deep messages. And, and, and people are releasing emotions in this in a way that is so deep and, and so rare. And the first couple of years that I saw the temple, I found the grief and the sadness to be like so painful and, and so deep. And so it just, it was, it was really hard for me to, to, to sit with it and process. And then I had this, this awareness that every face that was pasted on the wall, everything that was written to someone lost, every experience of grief is this echo effect of some magnitude of love. And so if you, if you take away the designation of it being a good or a bad emotion, it's just an intense human experience that of connection or lack of connection, but in some really, you know, deep cosmic way, it is still the, the outer stretching limits of the human experience that you're having. And so I, I started to have these kind of ecstatic grief experiences where I would just lose control, crying, feeling, you know, the loss, also feeling the memories of the love and this, this, it kind of really just reframed the whole process of, of grief and loss to me as more a, one of the gifts of our human experience is intensity and, and, and it's all has to do with love. Yeah. You know, I mentioned this uh, a few times. I lost my father uh, back in September and unlike your experience, I was not expecting it. I also knew that he was older than me. So there's obviously that inclination that he would probably transition before I did. But, uh, you know, I didn't have that, that, that kind of preparation time beforehand. Um, and, and we had experienced many times on the playa together. Um, one of my best memories is having that, uh, that trip with him. And it's interesting because there was overwhelming bouts of sadness because we were, were so close. It wasn't like I just lost a father, but I also lost a friend. This is someone who I talked to um, easily on a weekly basis. So it was someone who was a constant in my life. But the more profound feeling that I have, even though there was loss and, and, and even though it felt like he was ripped from me, was this overwhelming just blanket of gratitude of just how grateful I was to to have this man in my life even almost even more so after he left even though I was very grateful for his presence in my life when he was around but to to really have that um you know be the forefront emotion you know it was this interesting mix of sorrow and sadness and you know laughing and crying and this duality of um you know missing him to honoring him to missing him to you know laughing crying that the, this whole duality so you know i appreciate you sharing sharing your process and it just goes to show you that you know it, it, it could come in in any different forms and um you know i think what i love from your story is that you knew that there was the transition coming, that you were really putting yourself out there to do this webcam with him, to go to, you know, his home, uh, you know, the old folks home to create this, this webinar for people. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a touching story. So, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing that. So the cool little PS of that story is after he died, I, uh, I bought a 24 foot motor home, painted it pink, 
and took his ashes and I mixed it into the paint job of the wings on the side oh, of it. So wow. even though he's been gone 10 years, he has been to Burning Man for the last 10 years. Oh my God, that's great. <laughs> he's always flying high with you. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, well, so, um, you know, we're kind of at the bewitching hour. And, um, you know, before we conclude today, there's something we love to do with all of our guests. We love to do just some quick rapid fire questions. So if you're up for that, I'd like to just to shoot a few at you just to get a little more feel of who Halcyon is. Let's do it. All right. Mac or PC guy? P- uh, Mac. Okay. Um, boxes or briefs? Or none? <laughs> I, I wear the, uh, the, the long jockey briefs, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you a traveler, international traveler? used to be i i stay pretty close to home nowadays often because uh i like being around my parents okay cat or dog person Ooh, goldfish all right i will say goldfish <laughs> sweet or savory sweet all right talking or texting texting mm. uh typically early or late Ugh, late yeah okay <laughs> A little honesty there. <laughs> Love or hate black licorice? Hate. Yeah. It, 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 Come on. That's, a that's lo- not a candy. Oh, yeah. See, I love it. Absolutely love it. I, I was so fond of you before that. <laughs> that's it. The relationship's over. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Mm. Biggest pet peeve? People who don't create art but are critical of art. Mm. All right. Last one. Favorite thing in your closet right now? I have a uh, a boho coat, reversible playa coat that is bright pink fur on one side and uh, sequin, silver sequins that kind of you can paint onto on the other side. It's It's so Elton John Liberace over the top and I love it. Awesome. If you have a picture of yourself in that coat or a picture of the coat, please... Send it to us. We'd love to put it in the show notes. Done and done. <laughs> awesome. Beautiful. So before we depart, um, if you have any last words or any last comments or any ass we, you have of the audience of how they can help your movement, um, you know, please let us know how we, can, how we can help you, how we can help Hug Nation or anything like that. And then also where people can get a hold of you and uh, reach you and find out a little bit more about what's going on in your life. Beautiful. First, I'd say, you know, that uh, such an honor to spend a little bit of time sharing my stories. And um, hopefully there's things that you recognize in yourself. I think it's beautiful to know that we are all the protagonists of our own epic myths. And uh, I, I so respect and admire everyone for going through their journeys. Um, if you want to walk a little bit closer on the path with me, I love sharing and uh every week i do hug nation it's hug nation is a youtube channel you can find it there or uh, hugnation.com uh i do them live on facebook uh every monday at one o'clock on the west coast uh tune in for the live chat and such it's a it's a kick in the pants um i call it a weekly heart recalibration and um would love to have you also uh i I do a 12 week coaching program. That's kind of like the, the journey that we've been describing over the last uh, 
hour and a half of, of condensed into 12 weeks of, of lessons of, of authenticity and personal expression and challenging your, your patterns in your brain. And so if that's something that you'd like to do with me, check out pinkpath.net. And I hope that you, if you go to Burning Man, make sure you stop by Pink Heart. We should be on the Esplanade. We should be bright pink. You should be able to find us. And we would love to gift you cucumber water, vegan ice cream, and uh, a really long deep hug. Ah, mm. oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your heart, and sharing your voice. We, we really, really appreciate it. So thank you so, so much. My true pleasure. I love you guys. I hope I see you soon. And for everyone listening, of course, you can get a hold of us at the masteringfulfillment.com website. Again, all comments, concerns, love, hate. We want all the feedback you can uh, send our way. Until the next episode, with deep love and respect. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much. Are you ready to take your personal, relational or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details.